and welcome to the Trauma and Mental Health Reports podcast series. We aim to share stories and knowledge on topics related to trauma and mental health with the community. My name is Llewellyn Box, and I'd like to welcome our guest for today's episode, Wendy Shama, who is a social worker at SickKids Hospital in Toronto. Today, we will be discussing how COVID-19 has impacted social work relationships. Let's get into today's conversation. Hey, Wendy, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. So why don't you just tell our audience a bit about yourself, your job, and the types of patients you work with? So I am a social worker at Sick Kids Hospital. I've been there 26 years now. I work with two different populations. So uh, firstly, I work with the leukemia lymphoma population. So these would be kids who are diagnosed with either leukemia or lymphoma and their families. In that program, we work together as a core team. So a newly diagnosed child would be connected with a team, which is a doctor, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, and a social worker. And then we work together with these families through their treatment. Um, The main kinds of things that I would say I do with families um, is one in terms of assessment. So, you know, a family that has a child newly diagnosed with cancer is obviously very, very overwhelmed and and very devastated by it. It's almost always a complete shock and very overwhelming. So to help families to figure out what does this mean for their family and how are they going to manage through the treatment? So what does it mean financially? What does it mean emotionally? What does it mean for kids who are trying to navigate this? What does it mean for parents who need to work but now need to take time off to care for a sick child? Um, What does it mean for brothers and sisters who now have to, to deal with having a sick sibling? So it's sort of assessing families in terms of what needs do they have, what resources do we need to connect them with, and then how am I going to help them to get through this treatment? Treatment can be anywhere from months to years, depending on what the diagnosis is. So some families I work with for many, many years. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes children relapse where the cancer might come back. So I've actually had families I've known and worked with on and off for 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the leukemia lymphoma population. And then I also work with the immunology population. So most of the immunology families that I work with um, are severe combined immunodeficiency. So many people sort of refer to them in the olden days as the bubble boy. So these children who are born without any immune system and who need a transplant in order to replace the immune system. So I work with these immunology families um, as we get them ready to go for transplant. Perfect. Wow. So that's, that's a lot, (laughs) Um, but all great work. And how has it been working through the pandemic? So, I mean, I'm sure this is a challenging time for everybody. And certainly, you know, I hear it in the work that I do with, with children, with families that COVID has impacted every aspect of everybody's lives. Um, The hospital um, has gone through a period and continues to be in a period where they are limiting the number of people in the building. And um, so in March, um, I started doing some of my work virtually. And actually, I've never in my 26 years at the hospital worked virtually before. So this has been a really big change for me um, in terms of, well, how do you work with a family if you're not sitting in front of them? Because prior to March, my work was all face-to-face. So when children are admitted to the hospital, I go into their room and I sit with parents, I sit with children, they bring siblings in, I meet with siblings. If they're in an outpatient clinic visit, I go find them in the clinic, we meet in an exam room. Um, So the work has all been face-to-face. But with COVID and with them limiting the number of people in the building, a lot of my work um, has become virtual. 
So um, I am booking Zoom counseling sessions um, weekly to do assessments or counseling with parents, with children, with siblings online, which is very, very different than than I used to do. Mm-hmm. And so since you're predominantly virtual now, have you like seen a difference in how your clients or patients are responding to this virtual format? So it's interesting. Um, right now I'm doing two days in the hospital and one day, sorry, one day in the hospital, two days virtual. And, you know, there's things that I would say have been really positive and things that I would say are more challenging. So in terms of the positive aspect, I am um, having an opportunity to meet with kids or meet with parents for a solid hour without interruption. And that is very unusual in a hospital setting because kids come to the hospital because they have a medical illness. They're not coming to the hospital because they want to see me as a social worker. I am providing um, service to them and counseling to them and support to them as part of what we provide to our families in this program. But that's not the reason they've come. So when I see a family in clinic, Um, you know, we're in the waiting room and then they're called to the IV room, you know, then we get 10 minutes and then they're called to the, to the pod at the back to get their height and weight and to meet with the physician. And then we get 15 minutes and then they're called to the IV room. So the work is very piecemeal because I'm trying to fit what I'm doing into a clinic visit that kids have. And also there's very limited space in the hospital. So trying to find a room that I can meet them privately is a challenge. It's obviously easier for an inpatient because I just go into their room. All of our rooms are private, so I just go into the room and sit down. But still, you know, the nurses come in for vitals. They come to do their medications. So it is more challenging to have uninterrupted time with families. Um, And often the kinds of things that I'm talking with families about are very emotionally driven. So, you know, if we're in the middle of a session and the mother's crying and then, you know, the nurse walks in, she may try to stifle it and try to not say anything just so that there's no one else listening to the conversation. Um, So the nice thing about working virtually has been this one-on-one uninterrupted time, which um, I was surprised. I was really actually surprised at how great it is to have uninterrupted time with families. So every week I'm booking sessions with kids, with siblings, with parents for one hour one-on-one, they're in the comfort of their living room or wherever they are at home. Sometimes they're sitting outside on their back deck um, and we have time to just focus on what we need to talk about. And I do feel that actually in all my time at the hospital, that the work I've been able to do virtually for outpatients in particular, which is much more piecemeal, um, has been really good. Like I'm actually really um, impressed and I'm really proud of the work I've been able to do. Um, I've been meeting with a lot of siblings and even though siblings prior to COVID can come to the hospital, um, you know, that means them missing school in order to do it. So while parents, um, often asked me to meet with siblings, it was much harder to navigate, right? You have to wait for a PA day or a holiday or something to bring them in. Now I'm meeting siblings virtually, you know, I can do it after school or given this, you know, a lot of the kids are only in school two half days now. The high school kids are, you know, their schedules are, are very different now. So there's lots of opportunities for me to meet with siblings and meet with teens virtually um, that may have been harder before. So the positive with working virtually has been this uninterrupted time. And I find that I've been able to do a lot more 
focused counseling um, in this way. I guess the negative piece to it is that you're not face to face, right? You, you are facing a camera and, you know, I still do feel connected and I still feel that they feel connected to me in our conversations based on the feedback I've gotten from them. But it is different than when you're sitting down beside somebody, you know, and, and looking right at them. And, you know, when a mother starts to cry and I can just put my hand on her arm or, you know, show physically, you know, or lean into her just so that she, she sees I'm listening, you know, you can't do that as well virtually. I mean, you can, I'm still, you know, I'm still able to show emotion and, you know, but it's just not the same as in person. Um, and particularly, I would say the challenge is the ICU when kids go to the ICU because it's much more challenging to have a family get on their phone and, you know, join a Zoom session by phone than it is to be in person side by side. Um, although that being said, I've done many sessions by Zoom in the ICU. Um, there's one family in particular that I can think of that I actually never met in person throughout the child's treatment um, because they were diagnosed after March and um, they passed away quite suddenly. Um, and all the work that I did with them was virtually. Um, I did meet them. Uh, they came into the hospital for a follow-up bereavement meeting with myself and, and the physicians. Um, and I did meet them in person for that meeting. But, you know, the mom was reflective on how helpful I was and was, was able to say, you know, I really, you know, it was the most terrible time in our life, but, but you made it a little bit easier. And to know that I was able to do that being virtual at the same time, I think really speaks to how well you can do virtually, right? So even though, you know, it is more challenging to not be directly beside somebody, I think from the feedback I've been getting from families, they are finding it very helpful and very supportive. Mm -hmm. So that's been nice feedback to get. Well, that's good to know because like, like I'm sitting like as an outsider thinking, especially for new clients, like you can't get that connection. Cause I know I, I would be maybe like guarded at first, maybe in a situation like that. So I, it's good to hear that you're still making those connections, even if you've never met them in person mm -hmm. once. Yeah. And so there's some talk in the community, like health community saying that some clients, especially like therapeutic clients, maybe not in the social work field, that they're doing more poorly through the virtual model, like health wise or emotionally. Um, do you find that with your social work patients? So COVID has had a significant impact on every child and every family I've ever met. And, you know, it comes up in, I would say most sessions that I have with kids and families, COVID comes up, whether it's, you know, change in school, change in ability to work, um, being fearful, you know, a sibling being fearful of going to school because she's afraid she's going to bring COVID back to her brother who's on cancer treatment. So COVID, there's no question, comes up in every conversation, pretty much. And I would say COVID is having a very significant impact on all these children and their families. I think these are people who are dealing with very, very challenging life situations, you know, for children going through cancer treatment, for parents who are having to watch their children and, and sort of accompany their child and walk down that road with them of cancer treatment, which is horrific. I mean, as a parent, I can't imagine anything worse as a parent than having to watch your child and, and be with your child through that experience. So 
I think COVID is adding a huge burden to those families, but I'm not sure that the virtual piece in my experience is, has been negative in that way. I, I haven't heard that from kids or families that, that the virtual piece is not helpful, um, but significantly the impact of COVID, yes. Mm-hmm. And like, do you think there could be some improvements in this model or, or, or anything to be changed? In the virtual model? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think, I think virtual counseling is, is like a learned thing, right? Like, I mean, for me personally, I've never done virtual counseling before March. So, you know, one day I wasn't doing it and then one day I was doing it. And there's no, there's no course on how do you do virtual counseling. None that I've taken right now. I did my master's like 27 years ago. So it was a long time ago. Uh, so maybe things have changed or maybe now um, as we have students, I mean, I'm a, a, a field advisor. So I supervise second year master's of social work students um, through their practicum. And I would be interested actually to know whether the schools are incorporating, you know, discussions around how do you do virtual care? How do you do virtual counseling? Because I certainly think it's been a learning curve, right? Like it's not something that you just know how to do. And I think, you know, little things like, um, you know, the way that you angle the camera so it looks like you're actually looking at the person versus having it to the side where you're not looking at them. I think things like that make a difference. You know, are you in a space where there's not a lot of clutter around you that's distracting to people? Um, I mean, I never eat or drink during a session. I mean, I spend the entire hour session staring at the computer. And so I think probably I would think it's a learning curve as to how do you figure out how to do it in a way that the person on the other side of the camera feels that you're there, that you're listening to them, that you're connected to them? You know, I don't answer pages. I don't answer the phone. I don't do anything except focus on the, the person in front of me. And I, I think that, I think it's a learned skill. And I think probably I've gotten better over time. You know, we just started a, um, we run a program called Photo Voice for Teens on Cancer Treatment. Um, This is the fourth year we've done it. It's, I think, a really um, great program where uh, it's a seven-week closed therapeutic program. They are teens on active cancer treatment. And then in the first week, we talk about sort of what is Photo Voice. And it's really um, an empowerment tool. And it's a way for them to look at and think about their diagnosis and their treatment in sort of a different way and in a group setting where they're supported by other young people. Because I think most teens would, would say, you know, there's nothing at the hospital for teens, right? Like you've got the, cl- you know, the clown, you've got the plate, you know, it was all this stuff for young kids. But most teens would say, you know, there's not that much for me. So this program is really um, meant to connect teens to one another and to, through photography, have them describe their cancer experience. So they would come up with a theme and then they would go out during the week and take pictures of things that represent that theme. Then they come back the next week, we show the pictures to the group and they talk about their experience with cancer in relation to this photo. And we do that for um, five weeks. And then on the, the last week, we pick pictures for an exhibition. So we have an exhibition at Sick Kids where we frame all their pictures. Um, we've had um, CTV News come two years to interview the kids. And um, then we post them for a year in the oncology clinic. And it's their picture and their narrative on what they said as they described that picture to the group. 
So it's a really amazing way through photography to get a sense about their cancer journey. And we've had amazing feedback from the kids on this program. So of course, with COVID, we weren't comfortable doing this in person. So we're running it for the first time virtually. And that's also been a learning curve because we have, you know, how many kids could we enroll, right? Because you want, when you're on Zoom, you want to be able to see each child's face in a big enough space. If we had 12 kids, you wouldn't be able to see everybody. So, you know, it's been trying to figure out how can we take this program that's been really successful for three years and move it virtually? And how can we get the teens to still connect? Because in person, when it finishes, they get up, they walk out together. So they sort of chit chat a little bit when they arrive, they arrive maybe together, they sort of chit chat, but it's different because it's virtual. Mm-hmm. So actually three of our kids were in clinic this week um, when I was in the hospital and I went and tried to introduce them in clinic. So they got to meet each other in person. So again, it's a learning curve. How do we provide this clinical service that we've been providing for these teens in a virtual platform, which is safe, but still provides that same level of therapeutic support to them. So we've, we've done three out of our seven weeks and so far the feedback's been really good. So, uh, well, that's good to hear that it's like continuous, like growth and like learning and adjusting. Yeah. And at least it's like working for now. Yeah. Um, and last thing, like, do you have any advice for any social workers working in the field during this time? I think, you know, when I, when I supervise social work students, a lot of what I focus on is sort of care for the caregiver. So how do you do this work, right? This isn't, it's not easy work. You know, it's not easy to, to sit with a mom who's just found out their child has cancer. That's not easy. But over all the years, I've sort of um, developed a way to do it so that I'm still able to be empathetic. I mean, I love what I do. I really, really love working at the hospital. I really enjoy it. And I feel very honored that families give me the opportunity to sort of walk that path with them. I I see that as an honor. And, um, you know, when I get feedback from parents who say, you know, you made this a little bit easier, then I feel like I've made a difference. Um, But I would say you have to, you know, think about how do you do this work? right? Like you still, you have to go home at night and you have to have a life and you have to have, you know, friends or family or whatever it is. And so, you know, how do you do that? And now in a COVID world, of course, it's that much harder, right? Like, you know, I'm in a mask in the hospital, I'm in a shield in the hospital. So, you know, when you say, well, is it harder to do virtual? You know, when you're in person, you're still behind all these layers of things. So it's not that they're looking at my face, directly as they would have been pre-COVID. So, I mean, I wonder if that perhaps could be one of the reasons that I'm not feeling that that virtual is as challenging because I am seeing their face and they are seeing my face, but in the hospital, they're seeing me behind a mask. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I wonder whether that has something to do with it. But I think, you know, for all healthcare workers or any frontline workers, I think this is a really challenging time. And I think, you know, trying to balance work and your own personal life and and family life is really important. But I think, you know, I think loving what you do is probably one of the most important things. And I can't imagine working anywhere else. I, um, I love, you know, the opportunity to work with these kids and work with these families. And, and I do feel very, 
um, fortunate that, that families allow me to, to be on this journey with them. So I feel very fortunate to do what I do. Wow, that's all. This is all great information. We're so thankful for your work and everything you're doing with your patients. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Perfect. So you've reached the end of this episode with the Trauma Mental Health Report podcast. Thank, uh, thank you to our audience for tuning in. Uh, you can connect with us on our website at trauma.blog.yorku.ca. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter to see our latest content. See you at our next episode.